Have you ever wondered how to wait? Have you ever thought like, like there's actually a way to wait? As a historically patient person, I've asked this question, how do I wait? What, what does that look like and is there a recipe for it? I like recipes because for me, um, actually I enjoy, I really love cooking. I like getting into something that's new and different, maybe I've never tried before. Uh, during quarantine, I tried beef bourguignon and it's this French thing that I had always heard about and I wanted to try. Um, Oh man, it was so much fun. But you go on, you go on, you know, like I go to, I go online and um, I think I used all recipes and I got the ingredients list, the recipe for beef bourguignon. And you look at the ingredients list and you can look at it and be like, okay, so you need these things. But here's the interesting thing. You can have all the ingredients and just wreck it. You can do terrible you can have the ingredients and the recipe, but what you need is the directions that follow. And I love how these, um, this website really walks you step by step how to make it. And it, I'm not going to lie, it turned out fantastic. Um, I made it for Erica, not the kids. I was like, get away. I didn't kick them. But, um, but I was like, none for you. And Josh's like, can I have a little with bread? Like a little French child at the gates of King Louis' palace. But um, I made it. It was awesome. It was super good. And I was really excited about it. You know, you followed the directions. So here's what we know about waiting and the recipe for it. The Apostle Paul gave us a recipe. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction be faithful in prayer. So I brought some stuff. You probably thought this was my lunch. It's not. Um, so you have a little bit of patience, a little bit of joy, a little bit of prayer. So here you go. You have your, um, your ingredients right here. But like what to do with these, right? Like you can look at it and be like, yeah, I don't know what to make out of that. You may not understand what exactly can I make from these things. You need directions. You need maybe something that shows you how to live it out a little bit. What does a life joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer look like? Thankfully, Scripture gives us the example of the Apostle Paul, his life, his ministry, and by doing so, the directions to a life that really is joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. When we look at the Apostle Paul, we see a life that is the ingredients and the recipe with directions on how to do this. And, and like a really good like beef bourguignon, like something like that, it takes time. It takes effort and intentionality. But man, a life like that is something you can't forget. It's a life-changing experience to be around it. The Apostle Paul, his life is the description of what to do with the ingredients. So what we're going to do today is we're going to dive in to the book of Philippians. Paul wrote this book to the church of Philippi, and we're going to read in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 14. And it says this, um, and, and I really messed this scripture up in the opening of the service, so if you want to judge me, do it right now. Got it out of your system? Can't believe you'd do that to your pastor. All right, um, but this is what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of all peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at the last you renew, at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Here's what we know about the Apostle Paul, that he wasn't those things when he was Saul. Saul was the man Paul was before he became a Christian. He was given a new name. But Saul was a Hebrew's Hebrew. And if you read your devotions this week in Acts chapter 9, you can hear about, you read about who he was. He was a tyrant. But he knew, like Saul had the knowledge. He had memorized the Old Testament. Saul was passionate about the traditions of his forefathers, about Abraham all the way up to the current time. He was zealous about the the restoration of Israel. He served God in the best way he knew possible. And he was a legalistic tyrant. He was so tyrannical that the chief priests of the temple sent him with letters to arrest and bring back the Christians who were in Damascus. So here's what we know. The apostle Paul had a former life as Saul, and the churches knew about him. They feared him. He was a name you would say, like that, that, little, um, that little hyena on, um, on Lion King. Remember, it would be like Mufasa, and he'd be like, ooh, say it again. Like that, that's what Saul would have been like. He would have, ooh. You know, like they wouldn't have liked him. They would have been afraid. If he would have come in, they would have been panic-stricken. He was not joyful. In hope, he was not patient in affliction. I think he tried to be faithful in saying the ritual prayers, but I know this, he hadn't encountered a true prayer life yet until he met Jesus Christ. Until he met Jesus Christ, and he went from Saul to Paul. Acts chapter nine, I'm gonna talk through it, paraphrase some of it, hopefully you read it this week in devotions, but we know this. Paul takes these letters to go to the church in Damascus, that ancient city still there in Syria, to go there and arrest these insurrectionist Christians. He goes there, and on his way, he's riding on his donkey when a bright light flashes all around him. And he falls off his donkey and he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, who are you? And he says, the voice says to him, I am Jesus whom you persecute. 
So Paul's having a one-on-one conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he, when he understands this, I think he's grief-stricken. But the men with Saul stand there and they are speechless. They're kind of having one of these moments like, ah, oh, because they couldn't see the light, but they could hear the voice. They could hear the voice. And the men take Saul and they load him back up onto his donkey. And off to Damascus they go. Saul is now blinded. He's led blind into the city of Damascus where he's laid on a bed. Before he gets there, the Lord speaks to one of the Christian leaders in Damascus. His name was Ananias. And Ananias hears from the Lord that he is to get up and go to the house of a man named Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, the bad one. But another man named Judas. And he's to go to his house and he is to pray for Saul of Tarsus. That Mufasa moment, whoa, who, what? And this is what Ananias says back to God. But I've heard really bad things about Saul of Tarsus. He's very hard on the people. Can I just ask if you're sure on this one? And God said, go, go and pray for him. And um, he is my chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and to all of the world. And he will learn all that he must suffer for my name. Ananias goes to Paul. He prays for Paul. Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he becomes, he goes from Saul to Paul. He becomes Paul in that moment. And Paul goes into what can only be described as a season of waiting. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Something like scales fall off the eyes of the apostle Paul. And he takes some food and he eats. He's nourished. But but he goes into this weird season of having just been Saul, the one who had murdered and been part of persecuting the church and was hunting Christians down. Now he is going to be the great apostle of the church. He's going to take the church global. It's got to be a weird moment because it's really close together. He was Saul, now he's Paul, and the Holy Spirit has filled him, and here's what we have to do. We need to ask the question, why did the apostle Paul have to wait? Why did he have to wait? It doesn't make sense. Until you pull back and look just a little bit. Just look at what had been in Paul's life. Why did Paul have to wait? I believe one of the reasons that he had to wait was to heal relationships, first of all, between Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ. That relationship had to be reconciled. Remember the words in Acts chapter 9, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you? I don't even know who you are. And Jesus said, I am Jesus I am Jesus, which tells us that Jesus regards the persecution of his church as a personal pain to himself. Why do you persecute me? Paul had to get his relationship between him and Jesus right. Paul now had to reconcile his past with the gospel grace that he had received. And and it sounds like it should be easy, but I think Paul had a really hard time. He knew the voice of Jesus saying, why are you harming me? Why are you causing me pain? And he had to reconcile that and work through the grace he had received and probably the shame he felt, the guilt he felt. 
and respond without hiding from God but turning towards God. He had to reconcile and heal that relationship between he and Jesus because he hated the name of Jesus when he left Jerusalem. Now he loved him as his Lord and Savior. Paul also had to heal the relationship between himself and the early church. They feared him. When, um, If you read Acts chapter 7, one of my very favorite chapters in Scripture, it's the story of, um, of Stephen, the very first martyr, the first person to die for the Christian faith after Jesus. Stephen served the widows and the poor at tables. He made sure they had food to eat, and he was brought up on charges, and Stephen gave the greatest gospel defense ever. It was so good that when the chief priests heard it, they ground their teeth at him. They hated him. They drug him out of the city, and they stoned him to death. And who was there? Saul. Saul was there. And he held the coats of those who murdered Stephen because Stephen loved Jesus. Paul was arresting people in the church, bringing them to the Sanhedrin, bringing them to the chief priests, getting them in trouble. Paul had to reconcile his relationship between himself and other believers. When we look in Acts chapter 9, it says this in verse 26, when Paul came to Jerusalem, this was much a little bit later in his ministry, it says this, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. That says enough. They're like, whoa, What are you doing here? They didn't want anything to do with him. They were afraid of him. Paul writes in his letters so much about grace. And I wonder if one of the reasons Paul writes so much about grace is because he understood what it was to receive it. What it was to be given and shown grace when you had done so much harm to people who loved the same Jesus who had saved you. So one of the reasons I believe Paul had to wait was so that he could heal relationships. But also maturing in his spirit. Paul had to mature. He had to grow up. He had to receive forgiveness and reconcile his past, but also spend time learning grace. And here's the difference. And I think this is so important. I could bring you beef bourguignon because I can make it now, and it's super good. I could bring it to you, and you could be like, wow, that is so good, and it's really amazing. Even if you're a vegan, you're like, I'd eat that cow. It's really good, really good. And you could be like, oh, but it's totally different to receive something, right, than to be able to serve it. Paul received grace. I think one of the reasons he had to wait is he had to learn how to prepare it and serve it back. Had to learn how to prepare and serve back what had been so generously lavished on him. And I'll tell you, it's not something that comes easily. It's disciplined. It's patient. It's hard work to mature in the spirit and learn to serve back what was once lavished on you. The unmerited favor of God poured onto our life. That is grace. And Paul had to learn to serve grace and truth back to the world. But here's one of the cool things. Paul also just spent time alone with Jesus Christ. We know this. The apostles walked with Jesus for three years. It's a historical fact. 
We also know that the Apostle Paul, so the apostles were given that title because they walked with Jesus on the earth during his years of ministry. And nobody else has that title except for the Apostle Paul who didn't walk those three years with him. Why is he an apostle then? Because Paul spent time alone with Jesus, alone with Jesus for three years, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And here's where hope upon hope bubbles up for you and for me as we realize that the Apostle Paul has a model of growing in preparation for ministry that is effective and transformed the world that we can do. He spent time alone in the Holy Spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was built, that relationship was built up by Paul. Remember, he was a Jew's Jew. He was, he was a Hebrew among Hebrews. He knew the Old Testament front, back. He could quote the whole thing. He could quote the entire Old Testament verbatim. He knew it. And so when he spent time with Jesus by the Holy Spirit, he could see in the Old Testament all the arrows pointing towards the Messiah, Jesus. And Paul became a lethally accurate teacher of the gospel. He could undo any argument against Jesus. He was an apologist, someone who could defend the faith and explain the faith. He spent time alone with the Holy Spirit, knowing the scriptures, and just in time relationship with Jesus Christ. Three years he spent alone with Jesus. He says it this way in the book of Galatians. My immediate response to his conversion, was not to consult any human being. He didn't go back and run and hang out with the disciples and say, tell me the stories about Jesus. He went and spent time with Jesus. Eventually, he would go back and see the disciples and spend 15 days with Peter, and they would get to know each other, and they would learn to trust each other. But here's the thing. The first thing Paul did was he spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. He learned what it was to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit illuminated the Old Testament for him to see that Jesus Christ was concealed within it and would be revealed in the New Testament of which the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of that New Testament. Like, isn't that amazing? I find myself like, yeah, because it's an every man's story. It's the outsider who gets like transformed, completely changed. So let's ask this What did Paul learn while he waited? What did Paul learn while he waited? Because he obviously had times of waiting. He was not waiting to be a Christian. He wasn't like, you know, I'm going to sit here and think Christian thoughts. Fish on the back of a car. You know, like that's not what he did. He wasn't sitting there doing that. He was sharing the gospel however he could. He was growing in his relationship with Christ. And the same is true from Paul in the early days to Paul in the latter days of the Mamertinian prison in Rome. Paul would sit in prison, preach to the guards, and write letters to the churches, and those letters would be formative and transformative to the world for the next 2,000 years. And here we are in 2020, and we are quoting out of the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, all those epistle letters written to churches and individuals were written from the prison where Paul waited. 
That's what he was learning why he waited. He was learning the purpose and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ going out of his life. He'd experienced grace. Now he was learning how to cook up the ingredients to serve grace and truth to a world that needed it so desperately. That's what Paul did while he waited. He wrote letters. He preached the gospel at all times. Most of the guards were probably like, I repent. Like they were, they were under his authority even though they guarded him. Paul didn't just sit and wait. It wasn't a season of isolated sorrow and loneliness. It was a season of intimate fellowship between Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and whoever had the fortunate opportunity to sit guard at his door had to hear the gospel all day long. He would invest and disciple Timothy and other leaders, write letters to the churches. It was amazing. So when we look at what Paul learned while he waited, we can say this. One of the things Paul learned was that Christ will provide for all his needs. Christ will provide for all his needs. He learned that um, Christ met his truest need on the cross. Redemption. And everything else was an extra. So Paul would not bow to his circumstances or his hardships or his appetite or his indulgences or his hunger or his thirst or his fear. I mean, here's the thing. I don't know about you. You put me in water at night and I get a little, yeah. Uh, antsy. Anybody else? Like you throw me in a deep water at night and I'm like, what giant thing is down there about to make a feast out of the, you know, this? Like who's about to have that? It scares me. Paul spent an entire night and a half a day out on the open sea alone. What did he learn while he waited? That his circumstances don't dictate his worth. That Christ alone is what he needs. He would learn to turn every need, every worry, every concern, and every decision over to Christ. He learned contentment. He learned contentment. Philippians 4, 11, written from prison, says it this way. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances are. Whatever's going on, I have learned to be content I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and neither one weighs more than the other, because that's not the point. What Paul learned from his waiting was that he's always been a prisoner of Christ. He is bound to Christ, not his circumstances. And as I, as I look at that, I'm like, I long for myself to experience that. I want that for myself. There's so much purpose in waiting. It's not idle time. It's a time to do and to learn and to be. So how do I wait? How do you wait? How do we do this? Well, we be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Which, for us, we have the ingredients. We've seen a life that is joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. So let's just take a minute, because it's a recipe for a life-changing experience. It's a recipe, it's the ingredient list for what you can use to transform life. But the Apostle Paul's life tells us it's an active effort. It's not just being like, 
be something awesome. No, you have to engage the elements of being joyful in hope, patient in affliction. So let's look, joyful in hope. Saul had a plot twist in his life. He had life mapped out. He was going to be an awesome Jew for the rest of his life, and he was going to go up in the temple hierarchy and be a man of great importance. And there was a plot twist for him. Jesus Christ interrupted his perfect plan and changed the world. Have you had a plot twist? Have you had a plot twist? I would guess that over the last four months, I don't even know, 14 years or three weeks, I don't know how long it's been, ever since quarantine and now all that's going on, it feels like a long time. Has there been a plot twist? Did your perfect plan get absolutely decimated? How can you be joyful in hope when everything's turned upside down? How can you be joyful in hope when everything is turned upside down? When you find yourself sitting here going, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to take joy in this circumstance and make it and have hope in it. I don't know how to to lean in. The secret to joy does not lie in your circumstances. It lies exclusively in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This, the joy in hope, is the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus that cannot be altered, that cannot be changed, and that cannot be interrupted. Nothing, neither height nor depth, can separate you from the love of God, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote. Those are his words. That's where he gets joy. That's where he has hope. That's where he holds on. Paul gives guidelines in having joy and hope in his text from Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in him. Have you ever thought of this, church? We rejoice when our team wins the Super Bowl or not. I'm not throwing stones, but we know who you are who haven't. But like when your team wins the Super Bowl, you're like, yeah. And then next year you're like, please, one more time. Right, that. When your joy is rooted in this world, it's not joy. It's, it's a prelude to disappointment. And we look at this and understand that it, rejoice in him, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the solid rock. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Not in your circumstance, your wealth or your lack of. Rejoice in him. Push everything to the side and put God at the center. He has saved you. He has a plan for you. You may feel like some idol, like, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. God's over there like, oh, super duper, have a plan. Would love to know you and use you for the glory of Jesus Christ. God has a plan for you. And, you know, you may be like, Eric... I'm a bad person who God can't use. I, if I could reach through your TV and just thwack, thump you. What did we just talk about? Saul, the worst of the worst, who God used for the very greatest things. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Don't tell me what God can do. Because God tells us he takes brokenness and gives us beauty. Rejoice in him. He will do in you by his power what he did in Saul by his power. He will transform you. He is everything. Rejoice in him. Here's a wonderful thought. Relearn how to have a relationship with the one who created relationships. Like how great is that? 
We get to relearn how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not what you do for him. It's who he is. Know him and love him. Learn what true joy is by receiving forgiveness and grace and then have a purpose given to you. Given the opportunity to learn how to construct and serve grace back into the lives of others. It's overwhelming. It's beautiful. It's hopeful. It's the gospel alive in our midst. You know, when your sinful life is covered by grace, you realize anything's possible. And my hope for you is that you know this, that you're able to have hope, not in you, but in him. So rejoice in him. The second part of this verse actually reveals something really cool, really cool in the context of the language it uses. It says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known, be made evident to all. Okay. Gentleness, don't you just see somebody like, hello, I'm, you know, I'm gentle. And they're all soft and like, you know, touch their hands, like, it's kind of, I don't know, a little tacky and moist and weird. Like, just gentle. That's not the word here. Gentleness is not the right word. It's, it's the word we have, but our implication on it isn't right. Really what gentleness means in this is a sense of reasonableness. The Greek word denotes a generous spirit. Assuming the best, and here's the thing, um, man, get ready for this. It gets over petty insults. How many times on Facebook in the last two weeks have you been like, that's it. I'm blow you up. And you get on it and you like type it out and you're like, I can't believe you'd say that, you know. And you, you get after somebody again. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm awesome, right? The gentleness Paul talks about here is someone who doesn't get owned by petty offenses. They assume the best. They look for God's purposes in a person's life. And they look at them with the love of Christ and not their own frustrations. You know, when we look at this gentleness, we realize it's such a person who has that gentleness doesn't insist on their rights being, you know, upheld. They look to uphold the, the right of Christ to invade and transform the lives around them. They lay their whole life down for the purposes of Jesus. And who did it first but the Lord Jesus himself. You know, maybe God stopped you in your tracks. He's done this to me a number of times, a couple of times really clearly. And he's revealed sin in my life. And I had to deal with it right then and there. And I had to go back and ask people to forgive me. And it was hard for them to forgive me. And I don't know for some if they could. And I get it. I'm not mad. I'm, I'm very sorry for the things I've done that hurt people. And, and you look at it and you go, oh. And I just wish I could say, can't you just forgive me? I've heard people say that have been abusive and mean, like, I just want a clean slate. Well, you know what, that, if you've hurt people, that's not your, it's not right for you to say, can I just have a clean slate? No, you can't. Those who are wounded get to heal on their terms, not those who wounded them. So we actually get to be gentle and hold the offense that we committed in our hands and be like, I'm sorry, and own it. And love in spite of our own discomfort. It's painful, but it's transformational. Be patient in affliction is the next thing. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction. I want to read, read this because uh, when you look at patience, 
Like, you know, you look at patients, you're like, okay, what do we do with this? I think this uh, is a great symbol for being patient in affliction. You do so much, you can transform so much with being patient in affliction. When times are hard and we take this and we allow God to knead into our life the things that will actually transform what we look at in Paul's life is someone who was patient in affliction. This is what the Apostle Paul says of himself about being afflicted, things that happened to him. I'm going to read it out of 2 Corinthians 11. It's shocking. It says this, I've worked much harder, clearly. Um, I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, beaten with a whip more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That is the same flogging that Jesus received. Paul got it five times. Five times he's received it. Three times I was beaten with rods Like, do they just have rods laying around to beat people with? Like, that's horrible. Like, I was beaten with rods. I was, uh, once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I would quit getting on boats. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. Like, rivers getting him. Oh, man. Because back in the day, not a ton of bridges, so you'd ford a river and just, oh, you know, getting swept away. I've been in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, and in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily, this one always gets me, um, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. Paul has had it handed to him. Handed to him. And what's the thing that weighs the most? Has nothing to do with Paul. Besides everything else, he has the pressure of the fact that he just, his cares for the churches. He started churches all over Asia Minor. And his care in his heart was for the churches. He learned to be patient in affliction. He learned to be patient in it. He learned that God's grace was sufficient. So I want to invite you to be patient if you're in a situation like Saul or Paul. Give people time to heal. Give people an opportunity to heal. Give yourself time to learn. Sit with the Lord Jesus Christ and ask the Spirit to fill you and teach you all wisdom. Spend time with the Spirit. Look around you. Don't forget, for, forsake any opportunity to preach the gospel at all times. Paul, after being rejected, threatened, beaten with rods, shipwrecked three times, flogged five, preached the gospel all the time. He never quit preaching. Paul in prison preached the gospel, wrote letters, and continues to preach to this day through his letters to the church. It says, be patient. Be patient in affliction. The affliction won't last forever, and God will use it for his glory. Man, there's hope in that. Be faithful in prayer. This one, I mean, I just think of uh, when you think, like, how do I lead this transformational life? Be faithful in prayer. 
Be faithful with this ingredient. A little bit of salt goes a long way, you know, seasons the whole thing. Be faithful in prayer. Praying and seeking God. It's why we're doing the prayer thing throughout this week, to be faithful in prayer for our nation, for our world, for those who are hurting, marginalized, for those who are afraid and uneasy, for those who've lost their focus on Christ. Be faithful in prayer. Paul says it this way in that scripture we opened with, be anxious about, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Make them known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You will be tucked into Christ Jesus, and he will guard your heart, and he will guard your mind. Be faithful in prayer, friends. Be faithful in prayer. If you're just mulling over your thoughts, and you're sitting there, and you're like thinking about all these things and coming up with plans, I do think if there was a kingdom of mulling, I would be its king. I love to mull. I like to just sit and kind of work through things. I never resolve it. I just chew on it, and really what I've found is this. If you're doing that, you're praying to yourself. You become a God in your own mind, a lowercase God. You're a divinity in your mind with no actual power. Here's the problem. It says, don't be anxious about anything. I can be anxious. I know you can too. And what we have to do is we have to step back and say, I will not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, I'm gonna lay it before God because I need his peace to transcend my circumstances and give my heart and mind some peace and rest. If you need peace and rest, spend time faithfully in prayer. Every time worry comes, never neglect to pray. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. My hope, friends, is this, that this simple recipe lived out in the complexities of the life of the Apostle Paul shows you that though our circumstances may heave and swirl and, and the, you know, as Psalm 46 says, though the mountains shake and fall into the sea and the seas foam and rage, though all those things go on, that we would find ourselves at peace and God would be guarding our hearts and minds and we would know that his purposes cannot be overcome for those who are in Christ Jesus, neither height nor depth nor angels or demons. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote those words out of experience. He knew it. Know it, church. Learn what it is to be people who are joyful in hope, patient through affliction, and faithful in prayer. I look forward to praying with you through this week. I'm going to invite you right now to join me as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Bless this your church as we attend to your word, as we attend to prayer, to patience, and to joyful hope, not in our circumstances, but we rejoice in you. Lord, we crawl up close into you, and we rejoice in you and you only. And we pray for the glory of Jesus Christ. Use your church to reach the world with a gospel. Even though our lives are evidence of so much rebellion, there's also the new fruit and the evidence in us of redemption. Continue to work sin out of us, God, so that we can be pure and holy, living lives that exemplify Jesus Christ. 
thank you for who you are, for the joy, the hope, the patience, even in affliction, and God, for the opportunity to approach you in prayer and know we are heard. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul told us to be joyful in hope. Our hope is not in this world. It's in Christ Jesus. To be patient in affliction. There will be hard times, but our patience is rooted in God's character. It's rooted in the fact that, yes, in this world we will have trouble, but we take heart and we can be patient in affliction because Jesus Christ has overcome this world. And finally, I call you, church, to be faithful in prayer. That's the last thing Paul called us to. Be faithful in prayer. Go to, email us, prayer at foundrychurch.net. And I invite you to enter into a week-long chunk of prayer with us and pray and seek God's face and see if he doesn't change your heart. Instead of us demanding God to meet us on our terms, I invite you, I invite you to be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in that discipline just between you and God and enjoy the relationship that blooms out of it. As you go into your week, uncertain of the world around us, we can be certain of this, that God is for us. So who could be against us? And that hopeful word, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whose image you were created, go and love the world as Jesus did. You are dismissed. <laughs>